0: man. We've been focused on this now for a number of weeks. And um, really we talked about was how this man's interaction with Jesus, which produced a new way, obviously, of seeing his blindness, uh, was healed. How this in many ways is connected to us thinking about, and this is what I was hoping we would do, we would examine that account, which is an amazing account in the ninth chapter of John. And then we would also then in turn be compelled to to look into our own hearts and into our own lives and to ask good questions. So we're just going to start into the, uh, a piece of, a piece of the passage that would connect us to where we've been. I don't want to spend too much time there and yet I feel compelled to at least touch on a couple of things so that we can all get to the place where we can dig into the meat of what we're trying to share. So in John 9 verse 13, They brought him, that is, the man who was formerly uh, was blind to the Pharisees. And so many of us recall that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a controversial issue. The Sabbath was a day that had been set aside in the law, the words, the teachings of Moses, the commandments. It was a day that was designed to be honored. You were not to work on the Sabbath. It was something that God had set in stone. And the Pharisees were adherents to the word. And so the fact that Jesus would have healed this man on the Sabbath created a real problem for them. I mean, if you think about it, what they were saying was, how could God undermine his own word? And so there's this tension point. Now, we talked a lot about Jesus's perspective on the Sabbath, how he interpreted it, how they had misinterpreted it, but nonetheless, it concerned them. And you know, one of the things that's gonna show up here in this ninth chapter is the fact that this should have been an amazingly joyful thing. And you would expect that someone being able to see that joy would have just filled these pages. But one of the things that amazes me is that so much of this is joyless. And there's such a fear. And um, it's, it's really a big part of what happens here. And so we see that they, they, when the people heard of what had happened they felt compelled to have the blind man go and talk to the temple authorities, the Jerusalem authorities, that that these members, these Pharisees, these teachers and scribes, uh, these leaders of the nation, um, needed to be given a specific explanation about it, what happened because they sensed its controversy. Jesus was already controversial, and there was a lot of tension that was pre-existing. So the, the blind man is ushered into a larger controversy, he actually is brought in and asked questions that were designed to get at something. So he's caught up in a drama that drama that is bigger than him. Now, look what it says here. It says it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he, Jesus. Well, I told you, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see he had already talked about it before. They asked him again to tell his story. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. It was a, a huge group that said, there's no way Jesus can be from God. He, he, whatever else he is, he is not from God because God would never send someone to undermine the very words that he gave us. Then, but then there were others, notice, and the blind man is there. He's listening to this argument that breaks out in front of him and he's there, he's been giving his report. He All of a sudden, there's another group that's saying, well, he ha- how can you say that? How can anybody do what he did if he isn't from God? And then there were others that said, well, he, how do we even know he did that? How do we even know this man was born blind? We're just assuming that. And so they, they basically turn to, the, to the, man, uh, the blind man, whose name we know not. And they say, hey, by the way, what is your opinion of this Jesus? And of course, as he's been listening, you know, early on he said, well, this man named Jesus came and he did these things. And, but now he says, you know, as I've listened to it, I, since you're asking me, I think he's a prophet. I think he's one sent by God. I think there's no question that he came from God. And that wasn't the answer they wanted to hear. He said, okay, well, let's, you know what, let's just bring your parents in. We want to talk to them. So uh, says, uh, <laughs> but the, it says, but it says, now the verse, look at verse 18. It says, but the Jews did not believe concerning him. Now, this is a very important distinction because everybody in this entire account is Jewish, including the blind man. Jesus was Jewish. All his disciples were. So what John is designating here really is the Jewish leaders, the temple authorities, that, he, that the blind man was brought before. It says that they did not believe, there was a great lack of confidence in Jesus. In fact, many of them had completely rejected Jesus to the extent that there was not even the slightest possibility in their mind that he was indeed from God. And uh, that he had been blind, they didn't even necessarily believe that this man was even born blind. It's like, we don't even know if you're telling the truth, we're going to ask your parents to come and we're going to ask them some questions as well. Now you've got to understand, and it's going to show up here, and if we don't appreciate what I'm about to share here, it will undermine our ability to really engage what is happening. One of the the Pharisees and the scribes, the leaders were in possession of a weapon. It was a weapon that was not anything that had to do with physical violence, but it was a weapon that everybody feared. And that weapon had to do with the idea of, of whether or not you could be part of a people, of a community. It was called excommunication or being cast out of the synagogue. The parents obviously are aware of this, that's why as you see when they come in they're so careful, fearful. You can feel the trepidation on their voice. Um, The idea of excommunication was that you would be cast out of the community, that you would no longer be considered one of the people. to, there was, um, in fact, Jesus would actually talk about this. Let me show you, just, and this is just real quick to put it into context. In John 16, Jesus told his disciples, someday they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming when those who kill, they will kill you and, and they will think they're do, actually doing God's, God's service in doing it. Earlier on in John 12, Jesus had said this. Uh, uh, well, the scriptures tell us this, that there were some rulers who believed in Jesus. Interesting, rulers, leaders. But they, they, because of the Pharisees, they were afraid to confess him because they were worried, what? That they would be put out of the synagogue. They would be cast out. See, excommunication, there was essentially two types of excommunication. There was one that was a discipline that was temporary. It was less severe. It was usually for a month or some appointed time. And then there was this other one called the ban, the carom. And if you were excommunicated you ceased to exist for a lifetime. It was a community death penalty that your family also was to honor. It meant that you were cut off from your people. It was a way of keeping everyone together, and obviously, it was something to be afraid of. Uh, You were were literally told you no longer existed. You were um, ostracized, marginalized, anathematized, all the other eyes goes with it, right? You are cut off completely from your people. You become an outcast. You become stigmatized. There's another one, right? Pushed out. You're no longer a part. And that, you got to understand, when you watch what happens here, that is a big part of what's going on. It's the subtext that no one wants to say. It's like, we don't, we don't want you to be upset with us. Why is the fear there? Because the fear is that if we side with Jesus, we run the risk of being cast out. And we cannot take that chance. The parents are brought in. Look what happens. It says, and they asked the parents, it says they brought the parents in of the man who had received sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son? And who you say was blind. And he says he was blind. And so the question is, if that is true, which we're not sure it is, but if it is true, then we would like an explanation of why he can now see. And his parents answered, and they said, "Well, you can just see it. It's like he is our son, and it's true. He was born blind, Um, but as for the other details, you know, he's his own guy. He can tell his own story. He's his own man. Uh, He he's of age, and um, you know." We really don't know any of the details about it. I mean, we heard it, it might have something to do with Jesus, but really, you need to ask him about those things. Go ahead, son. It's up to you now. I mean, right? I mean, you're on, you're on your own. And, 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 really, and you know what? They, because they were afraid. In fact, we're told in the following verses, his parents said these things because, look at verse 22, because they feared. They were afraid. They feared that leaders who had already agreed that if anyone confessed, look at this, they had already agreed that if anybody confessed Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he's a, the reason they said, he's, his, he's an adult now, just ask him, is because they were afraid that if they said what they had heard, um, it would cost them potentially. And they didn't want to lose their place. Because there was real concern that that could happen. And the blind man at this point then is a picture of the man who's healed now, but he is a picture of someone really all alone in front of a group of very intimidating men who um, are the leaders of his people who have within them the power to cast him out. And right now, what they really want him to do is to completely disown Jesus. Now, you got to understand, when that day began, he couldn't see. Uh, it wasn't until a man, he said, came. This man, who I later found out to be named Jesus. I never, I've never even seen him. But this man stooped down, and he... Touched my, he put clay on my eyes and he stopped and he stooped and he put clay on my eyes and he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam and I did it and I could see. And, and that's, the, that's what happened. And he's saying, and you got to remember, up until that point, he had never, se- he had never seen the, a sunrise. He had never seen, um, and I guess you could say that he still hadn't seen one, really. This was the day, very day. But he had never seen a sunset and he had never seen uh, his mother's face and he had never seen a leaf you know, blowing in the wind on a bush or on a tree. He had never seen his own face. He, he had now been able to see. And you know what? The reason he was able to see was because of a man named Jesus. And now he was basically, as we see here, he walked, they said, bring him back into the room. Then we want to talk to him again. And look at their initial greeting in verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind, and they said to him, this is their opening. Listen, give glory to God. This man, this Jesus is a sinner. He's a breaker of the law. You need to dismiss him and give your glory to God and God alone. That is the initial movement. Give glory to God and basically wash your hands of Jesus. The the predicament he finds himself in. If he he says the wrong thing, he loses everything. He just got it. But the pressure is on him. What will he do? How can I denounce the one who opened my eyes? And this is what he says. Well, listen, if he he is a sinner, you know, I, I don't know. I'm no theologian, but what I know is that I was blind and now I see. So, if you're asking me, to, that's what I know. And they, and then, and notice what happens here. They say to him again, "Well, okay, all right, all right. Let okay, let's go over one more time how this exactly happened." How did he do it? When did he do it? What things did he do? What? It was on the Sabbath. You uh, know, let's go. And you know what? He already been through this before. And so you could feel the first, basically, for them, everything was about the Sabbath. So he says to them, look, I've already told you. And you didn't listen to me. How many times do you want me to tell you this again? I told you exactly what happened the first time. He came. He, he put, put the clay on my eyes. He sent me out. What do you want to do? Do you want to be his disciple too? you quit badgering me? What is it, you're interested? See, he waxes sarcastic mistake, maybe. But the witty fellow was only pushed so far. He had enough. What? How many times I have I to tell you this? Do you want to be his disciple? <coughs> and of course, who are you? Don't you, don't you even start. They it says they reviled him. Who are you? It says we don't even think. You are his. You can feel it. You are his disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. We are the people who live by Moses' word. We, look at this. If, as, look at, It says here, we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow, as for him, we don't even know where he's from or who he is and what he's come from. He, we, know no, we have nothing to do with him. And then he says, well, that's amazing to me that you would be. And look at how st- he that amazes me. This is a marvelous thing then that you here you are, the students of God. And here you are saying that you have no idea about this man. But I will tell you, this man opened my eyes. And you say you have no idea who he is. And that's when he moves forward. Look at this. It says, a man answered them and he said, why, this is an amazing thing to me, a marvelous thing to me then, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now listen, he says, listen, we know that God, and he speaks out of what he understands. He says, we know that God does not hear sinners, people who undermine his law. He says, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. This is what the blind man is telling him. And since the world began, you tell me it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of him who was born blind. I will tell you this. If this man were not from God, how can he do these things? You need to denounce him. I can't do that. Now, this, by the way, you know what? They're going to then get so mad at him after that, that literally what we're going to see later on is that they will take him, and not only will they insult him and demean him, but they are going to physically lay hands on him, and they're going to violently cast him out. Now, what can we learn from this? What what are some take-homes for it? What can we see? One of the things that stands out here, and I just want us to present it to you, say this, is that I'm reminded of the limitations of human wisdom and intellect here. You've got to remember, the Pharisees and the scribes were the best and brightest of Israel. They were the elite. They were, intellectually speaking, they were giants. They were brilliant men. We write them off and say, oh, these, these bunch of hippies. Let me tell you something. They were, These were not slipshod uh, thinkers. These were men who had meticulously studied. They were highly intelligent. They were people of uh, pedigree and high training. They had sharpened their minds. They were deep thinkers. They were exquisite students and scholars. I mean, this is, we're talking about not people who were just to be written off and casually dismissed. These are intelligent, highly intelligent people functioning at the highest places of power. That's how they got there. And you know what? One of the things that is amazing is that here they are and they, with all of their pedigree and training and knowledge, and yet they were spiritually blind. And the one who had no training, no pedigree, only an experience was the one who had open eyes. And it's amazing to me because it's a reminder that sometimes, our, as is the case with these guys, sometimes uh, our wisdom can actually be, our earthly knowledge can actually be to our disadvantage with God. These men had tremendous knowledge, but they had a paradigm. And their paradigm did not have room for Jesus in it, He didn't fit. And because he didn't fit, they couldn't see him. They missed him. Think about it. We are servants of Mo. Moses, we know. As for this one, we don't know who he is. And yet the the irony is, of course, one greater than Moses was among them. And they knew it not. That the beautiful one that they were waiting for was actually before them. And they couldn't see it. That the very one that they were talking about and waiting for and thinking about was before them in their midst. And they couldn't see it. But a blind man at the gate saw it. And you see that those who see could not see, and those who could not see see. And it's a reminder of the limitation of our own human capacity. It's like, um, you know, the Apostle Paul was one of the, uh, let's just put it this way. He is probably one of the key players in all the Bible. If you look at this man, this follower of Jesus, he was trained at the highest levels of you know, of an Israelite that could be. I mean, he had the highest education, pedigree, trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He's this amazing, proud man with a lot of just um, potential, filled with ambition, fierce, just an intellectually brilliant person. And yet he is changed radically by Jesus. And he wrote these words to the early church. In Corinth and I put them in the bottom of your handout I want you to look at it real quick he says this because he was writing to a group of people that honestly they weren't much in fact the early church starts out it's mainly a lot of working, working people um, there were not a lot of great ones among them he would off, the church was often started with people who were not very powerful not very noble not very necessarily beautiful and bright and he says and yet he says look among you he says look what God is doing he, he Look what he writes. He says, For you see your calling, my brothers? There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world, the things that are not really... Um, honored, In fact, they're despised sometimes. God has chosen those things, things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What he was saying is, is look, you know what? God is not impressed by credentials or human intelligence. And, I, and do not hear me, who is a person who believes, I talk about growth, I talk about expansion, I'm a believer in education, I've spent tons of time and energy getting degrees, but I'm going to tell you something, at the end of the day, that doesn't impress God the end of the day he still looks at our heart at the end of the day it's not about me coming up to the Lord and saying, you know what let's have an interview here and I will decide if you are ready for me it doesn't work that way it's not about us bringing our credentials to God and saying you know what I'm going to consider you make your case and then I'll decide it go listen God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble he has chosen the weak things to confound the wise. Sometimes, I was talking to someone and I said, you know what, sometimes I think it might even be a disadvantage because it, it, it makes us incapable of opening up our heart in a childlike way, which is the key to breakthrough with God. Jesus said, if you come into my kingdom, you must come as a little child. And sometimes it's hard to have faith when our mind is getting in the way, and, and I'm saying, okay, Lord, I know you've called us to be a people who think, I know we can worship you with our minds, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and yet at the same time, it's not about how brilliant we are, and it's not about how great we are. If we've learned anything in these last months, it's that all this other stuff can fade away real quick. It's, we don't, we're not who we are by titles, We're not who we are by how much we possess. Jesus said, don't ever be deluded into thinking that those things make a person who they are. It's great to achieve. It's great to have resources. Those things, we will not take them with us. We are to love God, to love people, to love this gift of life. We are not to be defined by the things that we can never fully possess. Jesus said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's the scriptures teach us. Hebrews were told that if you, if you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The gift of, sometimes, I see these men with all of their brilliance and they are rejecting Jesus. And I see this man with nothing. He is a nobody in, in the midst of a bunch of somebodies and yet he is stepping forward. And, and this leads me to the second point, idea, thing that we, I would like us to see is that actually their opposition actually helps him. It helps him. It is, we see in this the value of opposition. Think about it. He, he, he doesn't, they say to him, they, he doesn't want to do it. He's preferring, he's not looking for trouble. He's not trying to get himself in trouble. That's not what he wanted to do. He's brought into this situation, and then they're pushing him. They're pushing him. They come back and they bring him, you come back into this room. We want to talk to you. In fact, this is what we want you to do. We want you to denounce Jesus. Just cut yourself. You call it what it is. Give your glory to God. Wipe your hands of this man. And you know what? We have no problem. Go your way. It's all we want. Just let it be. Cut yourself off. And he won't do it. In fact, the more they push him, the the, the more resistant he becomes. That's the whole irony, of course, is it? That that the harder they push, the, the tougher he gets. They actually, by their opposition, because you know, his power was in his truth, right? And he's a refusal to be cajoled into something that is untrue. And so he holds his ground, he, he prevails, and because he will not deny, he—I cannot deny what I've experienced. I know you want me to. I know you. I know you. Can, you have power on me. I know you can push me out. I hear. I get it. But you know what? I will not deny what he did. I cannot do that. How can I do that? You. I don't know how to describe it. You tell. All I can say is this is what he did, and I won't deny what he did. I, if you're asking me to break with him, I won't do it. I will not do it. And so their, so their pressure, their intimidation actually helps form his faith and forces him to grapple with Jesus in a way that of affirmation may not have actually been able to do. Their pressure is pushing him into a place where he is actually having to make a statement about what he actually believes. And so by forcing him to think through his story, they bring him to a deeper confession. Think about it. By forcing him to choose, they actually push him into the arms of the very one they wanted him to distance himself from. And there we see the value at times of opposition, resistance, of pressure, because pressure forces. And that is one of the reasons why I said at the beginning of this year, and I was saying it to myself as much as anybody, that with all the stormy weather that may be ahead of us in 2009 and who knows how much longer, That this is a season of great opportunity why because it strips away the veneer and pushes us into the deeper places for some of us this is going to be season a season of profound breakthrough with God that will radically alter our life and faith as we bust into new ways of seeing Why? Because we are asking questions we would not have otherwise asked. We are challenging assumptions we would not have otherwise challenged. We are addressing issues in our own heart that we may not. In other words, there is a value in pressure and resistance because a lot of times it has a way of helping us clarify things in a way sometimes that blessing and easy sailing and smoothness will not do. So even though we don't want it, God can use it. I, this, he did not want it. I didn't want this. I just wanted it. I, I'm happy. My eyes are open. I, I can see. Why are you doing this to me? See? It, but, but by pushing him, you need, it wasn't just what you're, now it is you need to break with you. And sometimes there's a point, listen, okay, there it will be times where it's not about being arrogant. It's not about being self-righteous. It's not about, pompous, you know, I'll tell you it but there are times where we have to be willing to say if you're at, look if you're asking me to break with Jesus I won't do it. If that's the price tag for being accepted, I won't do it. I won't. I was blind. I don't know what else. All I can tell you is I was blind and I can see And he did it. He did it. Last thing I'll say. His story, in so many ways, is our story. That is, it is the story of anyone who has ever felt, listen, the healing touch of God's grace. Anyone who has ever felt the scales fall off of our eyes. There is something about seeing things in a new way. Think about that uh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me, a lost one, a broken one, a mess like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You see? I mean, God, God is working in our lives. I mean, think about this. This, this Christian life, you know what it is? This is, this is like the, the gospel of the kingdom is really, it's the gospel of seeing. And it's the good news of open eyes that calls out in us when we truly understand an allegiance and a loyalty and a love that precludes us from shaking our hands and saying, I can't have nothing to do with it. And we can't do it. If you force me into that corner, I'll never do it. Some, some of us, we must stop being ashamed of the Lord. We must tell our story. We must tell it. Some people around us do not know and I'm not saying that it's to be reckless and callous. I'm not saying we're always going to get... Think about it. He, he just was trying to, <laughs> to get through, but they pushed him. But in that pushing came the blessing. So it's okay. For some of us, it's going to be... A t- you know what? The last thing I'll say. The last of the last. I think I will say. <laughs> when he gets thrown out, someone's going to find him. same one who found him the first time is going to find him the second time. The Lord is the friend of the rejected. And I'm, uh, you know what? He is, he is the healer. And uh, maybe some of us are in need of a fresh touch or in need of, look, I understand, that, look, life has problems. And I don't think there's not a one of us here that doesn't have some hurt going on in our lives or some disappointment, some concern, something that we're anxious about. Somebody we care about. I I understand it because it's real life. We live in a broken world. As good as it is, it doesn't always work right. And some seasons are tougher than others. But the Lord is a very present help in time of trouble. And we are invited to draw near to God. And so, Lord, I want to pray. I want to ask you to help us not be in a rush, but to sit with this word to think about what it means to be open to telling our story, to have, a, have courage in our life, to be brave for you. I also, Lord, want to be reminded of the fact that you know the things that we're grappling with right now and that we're very afraid of and some things that would, would cause us to maybe be reckless, Lord. And we talked about in the past how our, in our restlessness we can become reckless and do a lot of damage. Actually, I thank you, Lord, for this time. Because this time is an opportunity for us through the pressure of life to be brought to a greater sense and understanding of who you really are. I thank you, Lord, that as you said, you have not shown these things necessarily to those who are the brilliant and the best. But Lord, you have made you not against that. But at the same time, Lord, that is not the prerequisite to knowing you. I ask that you would help us all to be as open as we can to the things you want to do in our lives. I pray that we remember that you are the one who will meet us in our pain and heal us in our need and continue to work your purposes in our life if we are willing. You are the friend of the broken. I ask for your blessing and the healer of the blind in Jesus' name. Bless our time of giving and this closing song, we pray in your name. Amen.